You're listening to the Impact Investing Podcast. I'm your host, David O'Leary. I'm a reformed free market capitalist who now spends his time trying to harness the power of the markets for good. And I started this podcast for anyone who wants to join me as I explore the world at the intersection of purpose and profit. Hi, everyone. Welcome to the podcast. We've got Mike Winterfield from Active Impact Investments here with us today. Mike, it's uh, great to have you on. Thanks for joining. Yeah, thanks, David. You too. So, Mike, can you give everybody just a sort of the quick um, intro onto who you are and what you do? Yeah, for sure. Um, so, my day job right now is, uh, is a fund manager for a new fund that invests exclusively in early stage businesses that do something positive for um, either society or the environment. Nice. Um, so this is, as you said, kind of early stage small businesses, um, purpose driven. Can you maybe just define a little bit about how do you how do you guys go about defining kind of that purpose aspect of, of the business? Yeah, for sure. Well, so you mentioned small. So yeah, the the, the businesses we work with are very early stage revenue. They're usually kind of, you know, in their first couple hundred thousand or their first, their first million or so in revenue. And so, you know, from an employee size, this is often businesses with, you know, eight or 10 or 12 or 14 people. So kind of the first, the first uh, group of people starting to emerge. And, um, and as with any company at that size, uh, you're not overly sophisticated in, in anything you're doing, whether it's, the business that you're providing or even how you, you measure impact. And so we don't tend to, to go too deeply yet into uh, requiring specific metrics for impact. There's, there's lots of third party uh, measures out there that larger companies start to use. Um, we're really looking for in that conversation with the founder, whether we believe there's authenticity and, and really listening to the why of why they, why they started that business. Um, and making sure that we don't think it's just a, a marketing spiel, that it, it really is part of what sort of compels them to uh, to get up and work hard and do a good job every day. So it starts off with a very kind of a, a, a binary decision on our part as a, a, as a fun team to decide if this is a company that if we invested in them, would we feel proud to be a part of them? And would our investors feel feel excited to to have that as part of our portfolio? So that's, yeah, that's really interesting. I have a lot of questions. Um, what, what made you decide to kind of incorporate purpose into, into your decision-making framework? Is it primarily a kind of a profit motive? Like I think that these companies are actually going to do better financially, or, you know, I just really want to feel good about what I'm doing and these businesses can also make money as well. Yeah, no, it's interesting. Um, you know, what, what got me into this category was certainly that I want to, I wanted to do my part to help out, right? You know, I've, I've um, worked, uh, you know, I, I guess a fairly traditional career in the past. And then I had an opportunity to do something that had a little bit more purpose and, and, and work with a B Corp and then found myself really, you know, addicted to that and wanting more and more. So it was just throughout the course of my career, um, found myself looking for more purpose. But um, the question that you ask is, is really a good one. I think there's, there's a, there's a huge debate out there in terms of is there a sacrifice when you make a decision to go and, and work with a company with purpose or invest in a company with purpose. And 
and more and more, the stats are really starting to prove that, that that's not the case. That you can actually kind of have your cake and eat it too. You can you can either as an employee, you can go and work with a company that is is purpose led, purpose driven, and you can have wonderful career opportunities and work at great companies and and you know have just as much available to you in terms of you know pay and outcomes and 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 certainly I think even more on the satisfaction side. And then same thing with investing. There's there's lots of ways that you can, there's lots of ways you can make money. There's lots of ways that you can invest and, and really part of what our fund is out there to do. And there's a lot of products that have already done this before. And there's other people that like us are trying to do this is just prove to investors that there's no sacrifice to be made by choosing to invest their money. Um, let's say more, more aligned with their, their values. Yeah, that's, that's really interesting that even just the, way you talked about that is it are are you are you saying that it's like hey i think this is the case we're seeing growing evidence that you you know you can doing the right thing is also the profitable thing to do and i'm confident enough in this and i do want to play this i I do want to be able to demonstrate to other people like you running an impact this is actually kind of meta right like you running an impact fund and investing in you know purpose-driven businesses is a way for you to actually make an impact (laughs) Yeah, it is for us. I mean, I think there's there's different people that are going at it in different ways, right? I mean, obviously, um, there's there's still kind of the, the the pure philanthropy, right? So people go out there and they they donate some money, and and you know, there, there's obviously a you know an importance to that, and you're you're helping out with a lot of causes and missions, and and um, and and that feels good to be to be a part of solving some of those issues. Uh, and there's 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 economics to that, right? There's there's some tax relief that's that's put in place by by most governments around the world, and certainly here in Canada. So, you know, the, the economic interest of of um, making a donation is that you get some of that money back against your your income tax. And then, sort of the next step up from that, let's say, is is what some people call impact investing or concessionary return investing. Is there are people out there who instead of donating, they want to invest their money, but they want to invest in causes that are really important to them. And for some people, they're willing to take extraordinary risk and they're willing to invest in companies that really don't have, let's say, a ton of um, likelihood of being very financially successful. Mm-hmm. And so that's, that's sort of another category of investing. It's, it's investing in, let's say, the uninvestable. So where the finance folks would not put their money, but some people would say, well, Instead of me donating it, why don't I why don't I invest in some of these riskier things? And then sort of a third category is where we decided that we wanted to cooperate the fund, which was why don't we look for companies that you know anybody from a financial standpoint would like to invest in. So you know, a high probability of being successful and very well run companies and you know extraordinary teams uh, running these businesses. Uh, interesting idea, good timing, big market to go after, you know, all the sorts of things you'd look for for a good financial investment, but make the criteria that is uh, necessary to even look at them be that there has to be a positive impact alongside. And so um, that's the category that we, we made a decision, a conscious decision to, to go after. And, it, and it, it speaks to something you brought up earlier, which is kind of, it's, it's the macro. I mean, why do that? Well, we we want to do that because we want to prove that you can get financial performance and impact, and by doing that, we'll be able to attract some 
uh, let's say, really traditional capitalists and you know folks who wouldn't have normally invested in this category, and and hopefully that will drive more money into this category in the future. Very cool. Yeah, I like that. Um, so maybe with that, why don't we just sort of reverse track here? I'm I'm real curious about your sort of um, history. You're a corporate executive for uh, for quite a number of years. Um, I, I, I know a little bit about your educational background, but maybe just walk um, all the listeners through kind of how did you maybe right back as far as you want to go. But I, I'm really curious about people's stories and how they make the, the kind of the decisions that they made along the way that led them to where they are. Because I think like I've you know, kind of noted in past podcast episodes, you know, there's not a, a clear or at least when we were um, uh, kind of going through school, there wasn't a clear social entrepreneurship track or a social purpose. Mm-hmm. So people, mm-hmm. you know, I find over a certain age stumble into the, have had to stumble into this. For sure. And I mean, I, <laughs> I stumbled into a lot of the things that I, that I did and I guess a lot of people do. And, you know, it would be nice if you had that uh, incredibly talented or magical guidance counselor back in high school or university that would kind of tell you which courses you should take and which career would be best suited to you. But uh for me, it was, it was sort of a series of, of elimination of, of things that I realized weren't the right fit. Um, yeah, look, I, I guess my story back in university, high school, always, you know, quite entrepreneurial, just doing little, uh, little projects and odd jobs and running tiny little companies. And, you know, always like to be the guy who's, you know, leading things, leading trips, just, you know, getting things that I, <laughs> I wanted done. And, um, and uh, the first job I was offered was actually um, something I was doing as a summer student in professional recruitment. And the thing that really attracted me to that space was that it was an ability to kind of run a business within a business. It was, it was a 100% commission. And so I kind of looked around and it was, it was this opportunity uh, for the entrepreneurial side of me to say, you know, no one's going to set out how much I'm going to get paid you know, with a salary, it's, it's literally going to be however hard that you're willing to work or however, you know, however good you are at it, that's going to determine, you know, how well, um, how well you get paid. And that was very attractive to me. And so that was a business I started in and, um, and, and really, you know, as much as I, I kind of fancy myself an entrepreneur, uh, I kept getting these promotions and, and getting new opportunities to, to learn. And every time I got an opportunity to learn, I thought, well, here's something else I can apply against the business that I would want to open or run in the future. So I was gaining experience and I was also sort of building a nest egg. And so, um, yeah, I kind of ha- had a, a bit of, as you said, a bit of a kind of a corporate career track to begin with. So I worked with uh, one company through, um, many different uh, entities for about 15 years and was promoted 14 times and had an opportunity to, to learn all kinds of, of amazing things um, in that. And uh, by the end of 15 years, starting out as a summer student, I ended up being the president of Canada's largest professional recruitment company, running about 300 million in revenue. And um, it was it was kind of around that time where you you start kind of looking above you and there's, there's not a lot of other places to move to. And, and I started asking some questions around wanting more in my life, a little bit more purpose. And, um, and so it was, it was after that, that I ended up meeting somebody who 
was with a management consulting uh, firm who, who really taught stakeholder alignment and um, was kind of teaching me about B Corps and social ventures and conscious capitalism and triple bottom line. And, and I really fell in love with that. So that's, this is back about six years ago now. And, um, and so I, I sort of vowed that, that that's where I'm going to go now. I'm going to, to move into this world. And my next job was at a company that at my, at my urging, at my request, ended up becoming a B Corp prior to my, to my joining. And uh, that was a, there was a software company, software services company. And, um, and so I worked there for about three years as a COO, and I, I got an opportunity to see all the wonderful things you can do as a B Corp and just, you know, having, um, having this baked into your DNA is one way that people kind of talk about it, or, or B Corp or B Lab uh, often says using business as a force for good. And so, you know, how you treat your employees, how you treat your customers, how you give back to the community, um, and just having good governance and structure around that. So a business that doesn't have sort of an obvious um, social or environmental benefit had a way to create a lot of positive outcomes. And so I was really fortunate to have that experience. And, um, and, and to your point earlier around, well, you know, does the economic performance have to suffer? The reality of, of this business was, it was a great example of one where it was outperforming all their competitors, even though they were spending much more time uh, really being thoughtful and considerate about their values and what, what is the best way to live their values. And, um, and so I, I left that experience with kind of even more sort of enthusiasm and, and confidence that this is the world that I, I really want to dive deep into. And I want to go even further down that track. And so for me, further down that track was find companies that actually their, their, their business model had an explicit um, you know, challenge that they were trying to overcome. It was, you know, a, a positive change, positive social or environmental impact. And so the way that I chose to help those businesses was, was with this fund. So the idea of the fund was that the fund would provide uh, resources, would provide both uh, financial resources as well as uh, some senior operational uh, expertise. Yeah, that's really um, an interesting story. It's um, I'm curious, like you mentioned, I, I guess it was a friend or a colleague who you, who was talking to you about this kind of conscious capitalism and purpose and profit meet and the B Corp movement and all that, those things. It, is there something, is it something that where you hear about that and just immediately is, that makes intuitive sense to you? Is, is there sort of a process there where you're sort of, you're skeptical about coming to terms with it? Um, was there something from your past where you, you know, maybe were, I don't know, had experiences or we had a family who was talked a lot about, you know, community service or, or things like that. Well, like what, what makes you hear that and just immediately sort of pivot in your career or maybe it didn't happen immediately, but you know what I mean? No, you know what? It's funny. It, it actually did happen very immediately. And I just, I almost didn't even know the category existed. Mm -hmm. And, you know, I, I think it's, it's, it's become a lot more, you know, popular and, and sensationalized and talked about and so on over the course of the last, you know, six or seven years. But, but prior to that, I would say, you know, this, this might be a little bit kind of going back to, to my story. I think kind of everybody has, you know, you have your values, you have your reason for being. And, and, and for me, when I look at those first 15 years where I was just kind of 
working hard and trying to climb the corporate ladder and trying to trying to learn and 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 trying to succeed and um that that for me kind of came from watching my dad when I was growing up and, and my dad grew up in in a very poor family and um he wanted to change that i i guess i mean it's, it's funny we've never really had um had this conversation what his motives were but but uh but but my dad um worked at one company for 25 years and was promoted a zillion times and and what it kind of taught me was um the value of this you know being reliable and loyalty and and you know trying to be able to create some security for your family and you know i never had to worry growing up that there was a roof over our head or there was food on the table and i was always very appreciative of that and i i knew that for our family that was a story of my dad changing you know changing changing outcomes you know he that's not the world he grew up in but but he was able to create that for our family and so you know i think in the early days of my career that was that was kind of front and center for me it was like how do I do some of those same things? How do I create some success? How do I create a nest egg? How do I create, you know, security, financial security for, for our family? And those were the values, right? It was like, how, how can you do right by your family? And how can you do right by your employer? And, and, and um, yeah, so I, I think a lot of that kind of came from sort of loyalty and security. But once you've made a certain amount of money or, 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 or once you have, accomplish something in your career where you have choice now and you have choice of where you might work. You have a skill set that's in demand or, you know, you have choice of, you know, how much money you want to make or where you want to invest. And then I think that's where the real tough questions start to, to, to emerge. Like, you know, who do I really want to be? You know, <laughs> I would often think and play that game when I was driving, in the car with, with my wife or, you know, back, back to the time even when she was my fiance or my girlfriend and, and just saying, you know, if we won the lottery tomorrow and money was just not a consideration, then what would we do? You know, or if I found out tomorrow I was being diagnosed with some, you know, horrible disease and I only had five years left to live, what would I do? And, and those ones always forced the more interesting conversation for me of, you know, how would I feel like I had done something um, beyond just, you know, trying to create, trying to create wealth? You know, how, how would I feel like I had done something to, to give back, to contribute, to, to, to live a life of purpose? And, um, and so, yeah, no, I, I think when I found that this category of companies existed, um, once you start, once you find out about it, once you start looking, it's everywhere. And then you just realize, my goodness, I think I just... I've opened up the window to a new world. I mean, these businesses, there are, there are not just a few of them. There are a lot of them. There are a lot of people like this who, who also want to be able to have this positive change. And so, yeah, it was, it was, it was a wonderful discovery. And I've, I've credited the guy who introduced me to this many, 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 many times. And I'll continue to credit him many times. Yeah. I, I, I that, I mean, that makes sense to me. Uh, I, to me, it just, I, I hear the stuff. I listen to it. I, the more I, think about it, it um, just really does seem obvious. Um, and it, you feel a little foolish that it, I feel foolish that it took me kind of this long to um, discover that. And I, I can't remember who I was talking to recently, but they were saying 
they were talking about this and I think they were you know, talking to a bunch of, um, you know, undergrad university students about this space. And <laughs> so somebody raised their hand after and was like, so like, because they were talking about making impact investments. It was, I think it was somebody running a foundation actually. And so then the, you know, the student raised their hand and said like, so what were you guys doing before? <laughs> she just sort of stopped and was like, oh, yeah. right. It, it seems obvious now, but it wasn't. I trust me. <laughs> well, it, honestly, look, when, when I say I want to do my part to help out, I mean, one, one of the bad dreams that I have is talking to one of my kids 20 or 30 years from now. I've got, I've got three young kids right now. And, and, I, and I imagine that we're in a bad place in, in some way with, with, you know, climate change has gone too far, or, you know, some, some, you know, some level of mass extinction has kind of gone on. That's just so blatantly apparent and, and so impacting all of our lives that my kid looks at me and says, so dad, like what were all of you guys doing when you heard that this was going to happen? And I knew that my answer would be, well, yeah, no, we, we all heard the science and yeah, no, everybody kind of agreed it was a big problem, but I guess most people just kind of went about their day jobs and were hoping that someone else was going to deal with it. And, um, and, and to me, like something just kind of clicked in that where I thought I wouldn't feel good to be a part of that group that, that said, I, yeah, we all kind of knew something was going on and it wasn't good, but we just kind of hope that someone else was going to take care of it. Yeah, that's really, really well said. And I think that, I think about that, um, that type of thing a lot as well. There's different, and there's very different, I find I've got friends with very different views on that. Some people look at that, that type of thing and, and say, well, nobody else is going to do anything about it. What, you know, what good does my little contribution make? And in sort of the obvious counter to that is obviously if no, if we all, you know, if everybody takes that attitude, nothing goes anywhere. Um, mm -hmm. But yeah, you, you get people who they want to be on the forefront of that. Like, Hey, I'm going <laughs> to, I'm going to be on the front lines of this or people who say, Oh, I'm just going to hang back and wait and see if other people start to do it first. Cause otherwise I'm just kind of spinning my wheels. But so it's cool that you, that you've taken that. Hey, I'm going to be on the front lines of this. Well, yeah, and it's, uh, look, sometimes I feel <laughs> very insignificant and, and I, you know, the, the point that you're, one of your friends, I guess, is, is making is just, yeah, you know, how big of a difference can I really make? It's just me and, you know, there's billions of people, but, you know, it, it's interesting. Like, at, at a macro level, humans have actually already proved this out a number of times that if, if a problem is you know, bothering us enough that we can address it. I was reading a, a book the other day that was talking about until 70 years ago, um, the top three reasons for um, humans dying were starvation, violent crime, and disease. And, and if you notice, they said until 70 years ago. So, so those, those three things, um, have now, you know, not been entirely eradicated, but they are at the lowest levels in human history. And, and those are three pretty, you know, big problems. And so when I see change like that able to, to happen, positive change like that able to happen around, you know, big, meaty issues, and you see things that are kind of put out there as a, 
as a challenge with, you know, the United Nations 17 Sustainable Development Goals and, and quite a lot of, you know, consensus among those and participation, you know, in those around the world, it gives me, you know, gives me a sense of optimism. Yeah, I hear you. I hear you. That's great. Um, so why don't we talk a little more about um, active impact investments? Um, so c- again, you're investing in um, early stage profit for purpose-driven um, for-profit businesses, as you sort of said it, like, listen, we want to make a, just a good investment in and of itself. And then on mm-hmm. top of that, look for businesses that can make an impact. So you're looking for kind of market size, um, sort of market-based sort of rates of return, right? Like um, kind of re- attractive from a risk-reward perspective of uh, in and of themselves. Is that right? Yeah, actually, this category, um, it's common to look for above market returns in, in, in private investments. So, you know, it's interesting. The, the stage that we would invest at would be, you know, a lot of people kind of call it the, the seed stage or the angel stage. Um, and, and it's that business size that I, I shared with you before, kind of early stage revenue, the first kind of half dozen or dozen employees or whatever. And, um, and, and people are a lot of times quite scared about this category because if you, <laughs> the statistics would say is that if you make a single investment, one, one direct investment to one company at this stage, you have, you have upwards of 70% risk of, of loss of your capital. So, you know, that, that, that's not for the faint of heart. But the interesting thing is, if you look at the, some of the largest angel studies that have been conducted, if you were able to invest in all companies in North America for the last 10 years that were at this stage, you would actually see 22 to 28% annual returns, hmm. which is huge. I don't know about you, if you're getting that with your investment portfolio, I'm certainly not. <laughs> um, but the problem is, is that nobody can kind of spread the board like that, right? Like nobody has access to every one of those companies. Nobody has sort of the amount of capital to kind of be able to invest in all those companies. And so, so that's why funds emerge is, you know, it's one of the reasons why funds emerge is to try to give people a bit of the diversification to take the risk out. So, so our fund in particular, it, it, it's you know not unlike a lot of other funds in 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 the way that does this. Where we invest in we will invest in 15 companies. So you know the hope is that by by having that that group of 15 that we're intelligently picked, um, that you've done a lot to reduce that risk. And that's what statistically uh, does happen is that 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 risk can go as low as you know one percent when you actually apply the 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 scenarios over time and time and time again. Um, so yeah, so that's, you know, that's what we're trying to do. We're actually trying for above market returns. So in the venture capital world, there's a lot of funds that will be out there and they're trying to shoot for, you know, 15 or 25 or even 35% annual returns. And, um, you know, we'll, 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 we'll try our best to compete with that category or do even better than that category and do it, do it all with impact investments. Awesome. So how many, uh, you said you're kind of aiming for 15 investments. How many are you guys at right now? So we've, we've done two. So um, the fund's very early days. We actually just started raising money for the fund uh, late last year. So we've raised about, we've raised uh, almost half the fund. We've raised $4.3 million. We're still raising uh, a bit more money. We're going to, we're going to cap it off at $10 million. 
Um, and so we've been kind of this schizophrenic, <laughs> this schizophrenic moment in time for the first year of a fund's operations where you're raising money and deploying money at the same time. And so uh, um, after we finish raising money, then you, you, with, a, with a fund like ours, a limited partnership, you, you fully stop raising and, and you, you, all you do is you focus on um, doing a good job of deploying that money for the next few years. Um, so yeah, so we've made two fund investments. We, we invested in a, a Toronto-based startup called uh, GoJava, and we invested in a Vancouver-based startup called Kila. Cool. So um, can you tell us a little bit about those? I, I'm familiar with um, Kila. I bumped into the um, one of the folks not too long ago on uh, LinkedIn, and they're a nonprofit um, kind of uh, software solution for smaller, medium-sized nonprofits. Is that right? Yeah. So just to, just for any of your listeners, just to make sure we don't lose anybody because I have some people ask me about this, whether I'm an impact fund, am I investing in, in nonprofits? So um, right. Kila is a for-profit. Um, so they're an they're enterprise uh, B2B subscription software. So it's SaaS for a lot of people who uh, know that acronym. Um, but their software happens to sell to the not-for-profit space, as you, as you mentioned. Right, good clarification. Um, and, yeah, and, and hey, listen, I, I, I'll, I'll, I'll be honest. I've had people have challenged me on that investment and say, I need to understand what the impact is. And again, this one was one where I really, you know, I needed to look into the whites of the eyes of the, of the CEO and founder of that business. His name is Sajid. He's a really, really talented guy. And... Um, and, and I believe that he wants to make a difference. He actually comes from the not-for-profit world. He saw a problem in that world with the software that was available to them. The, the, the cost, the complexity, um, the inefficiencies that were existing in a lot of these not-for-profits. And when you add those things up and, um, and, and you decide you're going to support that category, well, you're supporting a category that is mission-based, right? So you're selling software to a category of companies who all have you know, very interesting and very worthy causes, you know, a huge breadth of different causes, but these are all mission-based organizations and they're selling a, a software that's very high performance, um, very low cost, very, you know, intuitive, very easy for people to use and creates a tremendous amount of efficiencies. And so when you think of efficiencies, you think of, well, that means more of every donor dollar makes it to the intent of the recipient. And, and that's what got us, you know, a little excited, right? Like, like we've all seen those, um, those exposés where, you know, people are feeling good about the money they donate to different charities. And then all of a sudden someone comes out and says, well, by the way, did you know that, you know, 60 or 70 or 30 or 50 or whatever cents in every dollar doesn't even make it to the intended recipient. It's, it's, you know, this organization is bloated and this one pays their CEO this amount or, you know, mishandling of, of, of resources or what have you. So, you know, Kila is very you know, squarely pointed at trying to ensure more of every donor dollar makes it to the intended recipient. And, um, and, and further to that, they, they were already a certified B Corp when we invested in them. So that was just a, it was an additional sort of stamp of confidence from our perspective that they did have good, um, good governance, good, uh, you know, socially conscious governance baked into their, into their DNA. Um, so yeah, so that, that's, that's one of our investments. And then GoJava is, it's Toronto based, but they have operations in Ottawa as well. And they are 
a zero waste office supply company. So everybody seems to resonate with this example, but uh, you know, the dreaded K cups and, and I don't mean to pick on K cup, but just any of those, uh, I mean, we have an espresso here at home. And so just those little pots, all mm-hmm. the coffee pots. And, um, and so go Java, you know, as, as the name suggests, they, they really kind of start by tackling this, the, the, um, the challenge of those pods. And, and a lot of people don't know, but those pods, um, they, they aren't recyclable very easily. They're not, um, they're not recycled by the, the traditional municipal programs. And so you kind of need a third party to take care of them. A lot of times the third party is, is, is an extra charge. So it's something that, you know, you have to manage another supplier as an office, or you have to make a decision whether you're willing to pay that, incur that extra expense. And GoJava said, no, no, let's just put it all together. So we're going to deliver people coffee. And then when we deliver the coffee, we're going to give them a bin to put all the pods in. And whenever we make a delivery, we're going to do a pickup. And so we'll take all the empties with us. We'll weigh it. And then we'll um, process it. And we'll actually upcycle it into, into uh, building materials. So it gets, it gets repurposed. And so they have these incredible visualizations. You, you can see on their website the number of times they've done the height of the CN tower. And you can see either as a, on a, on a per customer basis. So if you're a customer you're kind of looking at what, what impact you've had since you've been working with GoJava, um, or you can look at the aggregate. So I'm a part of GoJava. And so it started with that, but then they, they do a lot of other things. So they're doing, you know, the uh, paper shredding and recycling, they're doing the supply of the, you know, the, um, the, the water, they're doing the healthy office snacks, the coffee, um, they do their delivery and low emission vehicles, their bullfrog power, they plant a, a tree for, for every, uh, for every order. So, you know, they, they, they really, they do a lot when you look at landfill aversion, as well as, uh, reducing emissions. Yeah. Very cool. Um, I'm going to maybe lever, sort of um, jump a little bit off of you started to um, describe a bit of the kind of, I guess, research and due diligence process. And you're talking about um, Kila uh, and sort of wanting to get and look into the, um, you know, the founder or the owner's eyes and, and see that, you know, they're genuine and, and have integrity. Um, so, and it sounded, and I think comments you made earlier around impact is difficult to measure. And so you're not sort of too hung up on having too rigid a, a way to measure that, but just sort of, it sounds like it's a more um, subjective um, assessment. That that seems to me, is, is that a fair description on the sort of the impact side of things in terms of how you're researching and thinking about the impact of these businesses? Well, so I guess what I was saying is before investing, they may not be at the level that we're at. And, and we try to cut people a little bit of slack as long as we know that they're willing to get there. So, so yeah, we're, we're, um, we look for the authenticity, um, before we invest, but after we invest, we go to, I would say some of the more traditional measures. So after we invest, we, we help them to figure out their SDG alignment. Uh, and we report out on that to, to our investors. Um, after we invest, we, we do a gears rating with the fund, which is, which is, um, the weighted average of the B Corp scores of all the, uh, of all the companies in our, in our fund. And then we also do our own proprietary measure. So there's a lot of our investors who don't know what the SDGs are and they don't know what B Corp is. And, 
and that's okay. You know, I'm, I'm, <laughs> it's not my job to convince everybody to understand those measures. It's, it's, it's just, I, th I think it's my job to, you know, to get people interested in, in this category. And one of the ways I think we can get people interested in this category is just is speaking in layman's terms <laughs> from time to time and just, you know, being able to break it down to something that, that any consumer, any investor can relate to. So whether that's, you know, kilograms of food waste averted or whether that's, you know, tons of, of transportation emissions that have been, have been, you know, uh, averted or, you know, just something that, that's quite easy to, to kind of uh, measure. And so we, we do all three of those layers. So we, we do the SDGs. So we know how we're kind of contributing to, to let's say some of these global challenges. Then one step down, we do B Corp because we believe that's sort of one of the better forms of, of governance and giving sort of a, a score that makes sense across different geographies and different industries. And then, and then we do the third one, which is that proprietary one. And, and we, it's really hard actually. We, we, we try to force them to come up with only one for that, for that last one, the proprietary one, because it's, it's so easy to start measuring so many, but if you don't have your kind of your true North, your, your reason for being, then it's, for one, it's, it's, it's kind of hard to benchmark, right? So it's, it's hard to get reliable data on how you're doing compared to what the alternative was. Um, but it, it just also gets watered down. You know, it's, it's harder to measure, it's harder to pay attention to. It's, it's harder for people to understand um, how they can contribute to positive change if you're asking them to, to pay attention to seven or eight or nine different things. Right, right. Um. So uh, on the um, on the financial, can you sort of describe the the due diligence process outside of the I guess the on uh, the impact side and sort of I guess a lot done on the financial side and when you're kind of evaluating risk, I imagine that still has to be. I'm I'm trying to translate because I come from the kind of a lot more familiar with the public um, you know public securities and how to kind of value and 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 uh, qualify and quantify risk uh, on that side. Can you talk a little bit about that on the, the VC side. Yeah, I mean, uh, look, it's it's um, it's a lot of work with private companies, right? I, I mean, I guess I I, I don't um, I don't have much to compare it to because I haven't sat in that chair and trying to analyze uh, publicly traded companies. I'm sure that's a lot of work as well. But I, I think with publicly traded companies, there's there's just scores of data, mm -hmm. and you know, there's there's you know, massive amounts of disclosure that's, that's required uh, by the securities commissions and so on. And with, with a private company, it's, I mean, just, you know, picture in your neighborhood and, you know, you talk to friends of yours and, you know, someone has started up a, you know, small business and, and you can, you can imagine the level of variation you can get in terms of, you know, which ones are professionally run and which ones have their finances up to snuff and so on. And so, um, look, a, a big, a big part of our fund was actually was hinged on that belief. It was, it was the belief that at that early stage, these companies are going to have a lot going for them, but it's so early that they're most certainly going to have some pretty big gaping holes in their senior leadership team. And they won't have the finances. They don't have the cash flow. They don't have the revenue yet flowing to be able to afford senior executives that have been there and done that in every category. And so, 
you know, before I knew that what this thing was going to become was going to be a fund, um, what I, the way I would describe it to people is I said, why don't we put together a pool of money so we can diversify and, and so on. And why don't we also put together a pool of senior talent? And if we applied those two together, I think we could really improve the outcomes. I think we could see more of the companies that we helped uh, succeeding and growing faster. And I think we could reduce failure rates. And I think that, you know, by, by virtue of doing those things and helping sort of the, the economics of those businesses, then, then we would also see an increase in impact. And, um, and, and so, yeah, so when we're doing an evaluation, I mean, sometimes I'm, I'm tapping on the shoulder of somebody who knows a category much better than I do. So, you know, I rely on people who have been the head of marketing, the head of sales, the head of finance, the head of technology. Um, I rely on people who have done a lot of impact scoring and, 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 you know, we, we look at, um, as carefully as we can, as much information as we can to form an opinion about these, about these businesses. So, you know, you do office visits, you, you know, it's, it's, it's very, very tactile, right? It's, it's mm-hmm. not, it's not a, it's not a ticker symbol um, where you're reading an annual report. It's uh, you, know, you, you, you do interviews with the founders, you, you go and you meet other employees, you, you, you know, you look at their software, you look at their product or their service, you, you, know, you do references on them. We, <laughs> we, we would talk to customers. We would talk to employees. We would look at contracts they have in place. We, you know, we would run, you know, um, uh, different scenarios financially of, of what likely outcomes could be. We, we would research the market and figure out, you know, what competitors exist and what they're doing. How, how big does the market seem and you know, how fast can they grow? And, and so, um, yeah, I mean, I, I, <laughs> I'll try not to bore you with uh, with a hundred hundred more examples, but but you can imagine. I mean, you these businesses aren't enormous, so they're not complicated. Um, but it, it it does take a lot of work to get a true sense of you know what trajectory do we believe they're on and what outcomes are likely in the future. And and for us, I, I will say is as much as we're checking, you know hundred different things. One thing that, that really resonates with us is, is the quality of the team. You know, and there's, a, there's, there's tons and tons of research that, that sort of validate this, that uh, the quality of the team when you're investing in startups and, and specifically the founder is, is so important because the pricing can change and they can even pivot. You, you hear this word, this word pivot a lot in startups or it's, yeah, we started on this track and we thought that the idea was this and the problem we were solving was this. And then we, we changed a little bit and we did this and then it became an offering for that. And, and that might happen seven or nine times, but it's, it's, it's the person who's capable of making it through all those different scenarios and listening to their customers and, and, and being able to fulfill what the market needs. That's that, that, so much of that comes to, to the talents and the tenacity and, the accountability and the smarts of, of the person. Yeah. And it, it sort of gets to that age old question of, is it the jockey or the horse? And do you feel like when it comes to kind of, I guess, early stage company investing, the analog is that 
it, is it the you know the the founder or the team or the business model and right obviously both are important but if you're having to weight one more highly than the other would you say that the people trump team for the business sure. model yeah 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 and there's there's like i said i mean there's there's a cool ted talk even that uh that you could watch uh, bill bill gross did one where he looked at a whole bunch of factors of different startups and um and team and timing actually ranked higher than the idea and the business model and the funding. Hmm. Interesting. Yeah. I haven't seen that Ted talk. I'm going to, I will look that up. Um, yeah, that's uh, well, I mean the whole due diligence process just sounds like um, guerrilla warfare <laughs> to me. Um, just whatever you can do to, to, to scrounge up um, information and, and things to, to factor in, you're going to do and take advantage of how you can. Um, Will you guys uh, typically, uh, and I'm going to try to avoid jargon, but you know, lend money to these companies or do you tend to take ownership positions in these businesses? It's, it's equity, it's ownership. So, okay. you know, different, different types of shares that we'll get at times. And, and again, if you're avoiding jargon, I'll avoid jargon as well. But, but yeah, it's, it's, um, it's for, the, for the check sizes that we write, um, compared to kind of the current valuations of these businesses, we're, we're buying a minority stake. So we're not, we're not going in and trying to control, you know, you, you, you see that in later stage venture capital and, and, and in later rounds, you know, series A and series B and series C where the check sizes are getting bigger and, and, you know, one firm really kind of wants to, to lead the, the process and, you know, have as much control as possible, put, you know, put one or two people on the board. Um, that, that's not the position we're coming from. We're really kind of, we're, we're a minority investor. We're not looking for control, nor do we kind of deserve it at this point. Um, we're looking at more from how can we, how can we support? Yeah. Gotcha. Um, can you talk, I think you were talking about this a little bit earlier. You, you, you referenced this, but sort of some of the support when you take a, an ownership position and how you can help these businesses. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, I, I mean, we have uh, right now in our company, we have uh, 32 different investors and half of them, 16 of them were people who wanted to be involved with their investment and you know, they wanted to kind of uh, roll up their sleeves and be able to help the portfolio companies. And, and they had sort of senior executive uh, type skill sets. So people who, you know, were used to making high compensation that, that these startups can't necessarily afford. And so, we put together something we call the, the post-investment support team. And basically that's, you know, this group of 16 people with varying backgrounds that are um, uh, available to the companies that we invest in. And so for that post-investment support team, I mean, there's, there's certainly a piece of it where um, it's just, it's just better ROI for them. Like, you know, if they can contribute to positive outcomes and it just it helps, them and the money and the fund. Um, but, but it's interesting. I mean, you know, that's gotta be one of the drivers, but it's, it's not the one that I, I noticed. The one that I notice is just that the people who want to help, they want to help because they find this really interesting. So they, they, they like the journey. They like learning. They like being a part of startups. They like solving new problems. They like for the first time ever being able to kind of participate with their investment. Um, and the other big category is just, it's, it's just, it's purpose, right? It's, it's, well, I'm actually helping companies that are doing something really meaningful. We got one guy in our, 
uh, post investment support team, and <laughs> obviously, you know, can't say who and can't say where they work, but. But he he, uh, he told me he goes Mike you know at home I have a, a, a fridge magnet and he says my wife and I look at it all the time and it says did you leave the world better than when you came into it or something to that effect and um, and he said I can tell you 100% that if I'm thinking about my day job the answer to that is no but when I think about some of the things I'm getting an opportunity to get involved with with Active Impact and you know, giving some of my time and, you know, on, on evenings or weekends or, or time off or whatever, then I really feel like for the first time I'm, I'm able to kind of contribute and, and help move the needle. And um, look, another analogy I would, I would, I would give on that. I mean, private investment's not available to, it's not available to everybody. You have to be an accredited investor, which is, it's only 1.8% of the population. But, but for those that are able to, to, to do it. They're in the income bracket that, that, uh, that the Canadian government, you know, allows to do this type of investing. I, I often say it's kind of, it's analogous to, to uh, buying a fixer upper in real estate. And that was something I had done a few times, um, in, in my life as I, I bought, uh, you know, I bought a property and then I'd gone in and been able to put in some, some hard work and improve that property. I like go in and, do some renovations and and change the look and feel and the value of that and then be able to sell it later for much more than I would have been able to had I just bought the property and and sell it later without doing anything. And so I think I think that feeling seems to kind of resonate with some of our investors as well. It's like, hey, this is something I can actually change the outcome on. I mean, if I if I invest in a publicly traded company, I invest in 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 Amazon. Um, <laughs> I, I doubt that you can pick up the phone and, and call Jeff Bezos and, and give him a suggestion of what you think uh, he should do next week. Um, really? I, I guess you Jeff's could. Jeff's answering but, the calls? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, I, I haven't tried it. Uh, <laughs> right. But you, but you really can do that with, with, you know, with private companies. So for people who, who take an interest in investing in this, in this category, and like I said, as long as you, as long as you do qualify as an accredited investor, it can be, be a really rewarding category. Yeah, I uh, again, this is where coming from the public um, securities markets, there is a very, um, there's a default kind of um, almost assumption that, oh, right, private equity now gets into this much riskier world, because in a world where you are so used to the reams and reams of data that you have, and the way you go about researching a company is by, you know, sitting behind your computer. and there is this sort of, I don't know, this, this sort of, um, yeah, this just assumption that, oh, that's a different world and it is scary and it's the Wild West and, and there's certainly truth to it. Um, I think the reason why you get the types of returns that you were talking about, um, you know, 20, 30% types of returns is because you're taking risk to do it. But, um, but as I think, but I think that's also probably a little overblown, um, as I kind of get more into this space and that there is ways to get information that takes more work and it's more hands-on and you got to get in front of people's faces and, um, but there is information and, and data that can be used to make um, your decisions, but also just the fact that it can be really rewarding stuff. And that's, I, I think that is a really interesting aspect of kind of impact um, you know, early stage or private equity investing is, is that, that feeling that you're actually, 
close to and more intimately understand and are involved with your investment. Um, when it's when the when impact is a big part of why you're making the investment, that feels feels real good. <laughs> yeah, it really does. And look, I mean, I I know you you would have listeners that are you know, at every different stage of their career and, and at every different sort of economic cliff level. And so, you know, the way I often think about it is that kind of as you, as you move through life, you, you have more and more ways that you can decide that you want to have an impact. And so I, I think for all of us, even at a very young age, it can start with just being a, a consumer, you know, a shopper, <laughs> you, you, you could be, a 12 year old kid and, and, and your mom or dad could give you 20 bucks and say, how do you want to spend it? And, and you could decide at that point in time that, you know, there's a brand that really resonates with you that, you know, has, has been very clear about, you know, the, the choices they make and the, the causes they support. And, and you say, I'm going to vote with my wallet. And, and the more consumers that choose to do that, then those brands really, you know, succeed and proliferate and, and, and that means dollars have been removed from brands that maybe have a, a really negative reputation, treat workers poorly, or are very extractive of, you know, of our resources or what have you. And, and so it kind of starts there. And then the next, the next step up maybe is that, you know, we, we join the workforce and, and we start to, um, we start to, you know, build experience and, and, and talent and, and, and skills. And those, those, those things become desirable. And so you really have a choice of where you apply those. You know, you, you can, you can work for a company purely to try to maximize, uh, the amount of money that you make. And there's lots of companies out there that have very well designed paths for that. Or you can decide, you know, actually, um, if I get to choose where I work, I'd like to work at a place that I feel really kind of proud of the fact that I'm, 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 I think I'm contributing to something more than just making a paycheck. And so that's another choice you can make. And you can make that as an employee. You can make it as a founder, decide to start a business doing something like that. Um, you can make it as a, as a volunteer. Hey, I'm going to get, I'm going to give my time, my skills to, to doing something. And then, and then I think the, the, the next level up is as, as an investor. And so, you know, as you start to have a little bit of money set aside and, you know, of course, like happy to do a plug for what you're doing with Kindwolf. I think, you know, when, People are first getting started. Uh, I, I think it's wonderful what you're what you're building, um, and and helping people to kind of get a sense of you know how do I how do I screen my publicly traded investments and you can do that at a very you know early point a very you know no, nominal amount of money uh, that adds up when there are millions or billions of people that are doing that. But you know how do I do a negative screen or how do I do a positive screen on 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 my investments and you know have a portfolio that is is going to perform you know, uh, alongside the, you know, the indexes or the market or, you know, what, you know, what, what other portfolios are doing, but actually have one that's, that's thought out a little bit in terms of, um, in terms of, of, of being values aligned. And, and then, you know, for some people, and I mentioned it's 1.8% of Canadians, they'll move into the accredited investor uh, category. And then they're allowed to invest in, in private companies and in, in, and funds, you know, funds like ours, uh, an impact fund. And, and the interesting thing I find about people in this last category is that, you know, 1.8% of Canadians are uh, de facto, they, they qualify to be accredited investors, but many, 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 many of them don't even know that they are accredited investors. 
Um, there's a conflict of interest that, that exists with the financial advisors that I know you're, you're well aware of, but, but, but basically what happens is under that sort of assets under management model, a lot of them would be discouraged from, uh, from having any portion of their portfolio doing, uh, doing anything different. And, um, and so there's just, you know, there's a, there's a real need out there for, um, for people to, to get access to great advisors who, um, who are willing to tell people what their, what their options are. Um, and, and, you know, that, that, uh, final step that, that I mentioned going from kind of consumer to, to employee up to, you know, uh, say a, a typical retail investor and, and then maybe even moving to, to an accredited investor. Um, that's where people, you know, often feel this real deep impact. You know, when you, when you get to invest in, in, in an impact fund, it feels like that's where, you know, you're investing in, you know, local jobs and local community and innovation and, and something very squarely pointed at a, at a particular problem. Um, before it gets, you know, watered down and becomes you know, this, this giant global entity, this publicly traded entity where, you know, there's, there's a lot of other sort of competition for, um, for, for, uh, I guess the focus and the attention, right? It's, it's, it's just, it, it, it's hard to be as, um, um, as impactful <laughs> as a large publicly traded company operating in many, many countries around the world. Yeah, no, I, I, yeah, I, I get that. Um, and yeah, there, there is a big, uh, conflict there with a lot of advisors. A lot of investors don't know to that they're accredited and they can make these types of investments. It's, I think it's scary to them because unless you're kind of in this circle and world, you just sort of, you don't know what you don't know. And so, that can be sort of scary. And so all the more reason, you know, it is helpful to have people who, you know, are professionals, uh, financial advisors, and, and can at least point out that as an option. Um, sadly, it doesn't happen a lot. So um, yeah, you kind of have your, your, your work cut out for you. But I do feel like the more this, uh, I do feel like the impact investing itself lends itself well to the private market for the reasons we kind of mentioned before, you can be more intimate with the investment and that seems to me more important when you're making an impact investment than you are when, when you're making a financial investment um, just from a, a satisfaction standpoint. Um, mm-hmm. And, uh, and, and the, you know, and I think we're in a similar space in that, you know, the more just wanting to bring attention to this entire world that, that, that we'll see a day where, you know, it will be seen as um, and this is a quote and I'm trying to remember now who, who, who it was and where I read it, but it definitely is not original, but, um, you know, we'll get to this world where it was seen kind of as, you know, unacceptable or barbaric that we were making investments without regard for the impact those investments were having on the world around us. Mm-hmm. Um, that mm-hmm. will be seen one day as, is supremely selfish and, and unsustainable. That's exciting if we can get to that point. <laughs> Absolutely. Yeah. I mean, that's, that's really, the broader, very lofty mission of our, of our company. I mean, we start off with a single fund. We're very, you know, we're small, we're modest. We're, we're, we know that we're not going to change the world with this one fund, but you know, the, the bigger mission for us is just to drive as much capital and as much talent towards social ventures. And that becomes a virtuous cycle, right? Mm-hmm. It's, 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 you know, if the talent and the money goes towards 
uh, purpose-driven businesses, then success is going to, to follow. You know, that, 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 is, that is a pretty proven model is where the talent and the money go. <laughs> well-funded, well-resourced, those, those companies succeed. Success would be measured in our books by both uh, financial success as well as, as well as impact. And if you're having success, then you attract more talent and more money. So it's, it's, it is a virtuous cycle. That, that's the cycle that we want to, to uh, bring a lot of um, awareness to and, and be able to just, you know, grow it and, and, and encourage uh, more people to, to come in and be competitors of ours and, and to, to enter the market and, and, and really just kind of st- stimulate that part of the market. Cool. Um, so a couple, few questions that uh, I want to make sure I get to before we, we wrap up. But um, one is, what's your exit strategy? So how do you, you get into these positions and, these, and make these equity investments? And where do you typically foresee um, exiting them? Are you selling to another uh, private equity investor? Are you kind of make really long-term investments and hope these things go public one day? I can't imagine that's a... Um, a big part of the exit strategy for you, but I'm curious. No, you're, uh, yeah. I mean, you're touching on what is the scariest aspect I think of, of private investment for a lot of people. And that is that it's, it is, you have to be patient. It's, um, they're, they're, they're not liquid, which means it's, they're not trading. There's not a market for them. Um, like you have with, uh, with the stock market. And if I, if I wake up, you know, tomorrow and I decide I want to sell my Amazon shares, there are, you know, many, many people who will buy them from me for whatever the, the current market valuation is. And that, that is not the case with, with private companies. Private companies, you own them until there is a major transaction of some sort. And so it's why funds like ours and that sort of a, the, the common structure of funds like ours is, is it's a 10 year fund. So, so people who, invest typically in venture capital, private equity, um, they are parting with some money and investing some money that they are, that they know that they don't have access to for a long time, 10 years. So, you know, you, you have to think of, you know, what, what can happen in your life over a 10 year time frame, and lots can happen in that time. And so, you know, this can't be your, this can't be your rainy day money, right? It's, this has to be money that, is a surplus of some sort, which is just why they have the definition of a credit investor that you're putting money aside that you don't, you don't need for your, your day-to-day living. Um, but yeah, there's, there's a number of ways that, that uh, you can get that liquidity with a, with a private company. So private companies uh, can IPO. So they, they can uh, turn into public traded companies. And, and if, and when that happens with any of our investments, then, you know, we are able to take our money back off the table with, you know, without, with whatever, uh, with whatever gains or losses have happened. Um, uh, strategic, um, uh, companies come in and they, they, they make acquisitions lots of times. So, you know, you hear all the time about, you know, big software companies, uh, you know, gobbling up, uh, little guys and, and that happens in, in all kinds of different industries and sectors. And so, you know, that would be uh, another example. So there's a you know, kind of a wholesale uh, uh, of the company. So it could be, you know, a, a private company or a publicly traded company buying 
uh, one of the companies that, that we have invested in. Um, and, and you can also have um, a scenario where they are raising more money and a later stage investor comes in and says, actually, I, I would like to uh, buy up all of your earlier stage investors. So it's not, you know, it's not through the sale of the company or an IPO, um, but there is a new investor coming in. There's a new valuation that's been set and they would prefer that there were less owners of the company and they offer, you know, some form of premium in order to make it worth uh, the while to, to do that. Um, you know, you could have a scenario where the, the owners of the company want to buy shares back. You can have a scenario where there is kind of a form of a secondary market uh, created where someone comes in and they want to buy the interest of the entire fund. So, if, you know, once we have our 15 uh, investments out, there could be someone who comes along and says, hey, let's agree on a valuation of those 15 companies that you own and we'd like to, we'd like to buy up the whole fund. Um, and, and you can do that on an individual basis as well. You know, you can obviously kind of go out there and, and if you're reaching the end of a 10-year term and you feel like people are getting a little bit impatient, they would like to get access to the money again, then you can, you can go out there and you can, try to, you can try to find the buyer at that time. Great, great. Do you have your own money invested in uh, the fund? Hi. Yeah, yeah, I do and, and my partner does as well. And it's, uh, that's kind of expected with, mm-hmm. with, again, with funds like these. I think that's one of the things that investors want to know is, is your money in there alongside, alongside mine and, and, and with us, yes, of, of course it is. Yeah, it's another meaningful difference between the public and private markets and the public side managers and mutual funds. It's not terribly uncommon that they wouldn't have anything invested in those funds that they, that they run, uh, which does sound, uh, which sounds and actually is uh, a little crazy, but. Um, so yeah, it's, it's interesting. I never, I never thought of that. Yeah. Yeah. It's a, yeah, it's, it's, it's an issue. Um, uh, anyway, I won't go down that rabbit hole, but, um, <laughs> are you, uh, I, the last thing I was going to invest is, are there, sorry, I was going to ask is, uh, are there any other, um, impact investments out there outside of, you know, sort of businesses that you're looking at for your, for your fund, but just offerings out in Canada that you find really interesting. Are there other, um, kind of impact investors out there you admire? I'm just sort of curious on your take of the, the landscape. Hmm, yeah, sure. Um, so yeah, I mean, I, I, I'm actually, I, I'm really enjoying seeing the work that, that SVX is doing out of, out of Mars and in, in Toronto, mm-hmm. um, with their listing exchange. So that, you know, our fund is listed on there, but we're listed alongside, uh, you know, more than a dozen other, um, issuers, uh, so, you know, private, private companies and funds that are, are raising money, um, so there's a bunch on there that have been sort of pre-screened and vetted by the SVX team, which is, which is kind of cool. And then, um, uh, look, I mean, the, the, the first place I went and looked, um, when I was getting into this space was, uh, at the, at the B Corp, uh, community. So I, I looked in Canada, the U S at, at which, you know, which funds were registered as B Corps and in Canada, there's, there's, there's five or six, um, you know, renewal funds, which is here in town, I think. I think they have uh, a wonderful story to tell. They they started off with um, with uh, sort of an experiment with some 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 family money, the the renewal family money, and they ran a they ran a small fund and they proved out a model and that they they knew what they were doing and made some positive change, made some you know 
uh, had some positive uh, economic uh, outcomes. And then they raised fund two, which was larger, and that involved outside money. And then they raised fund three, which was larger. And then um, they're in the middle right now of raising fund four, which is their, their largest fund uh, today. And if I'm, if I'm not mistaken, by the time they finish raising that, they'll have a, a couple hundred million in assets under management. So, you know, just, I think, I think a great story of what they've been able to do in 10 years. And I know a lot of uh, the folks out the, in the renewal team and they're all, uh, they're all wonderful people, and and so you know if if uh, if there are more funds out there like them that are B corps and that are you know doing the right thing by the companies that they're investing in and showing good financial returns and and um, and creating positive impact, then you know they're they're going to keep growing over time. Yeah, yeah, well said. Well, cool. Um, yeah, I appreciate it. That's Joel Solomon right over at um, Renewal Funds. Yeah. yeah. So Joel's sort of one of the um, like stalwarts of the impact investing scene in, in Canada. He's been doing it for quite a while now, hasn't he? Yeah, no, absolutely. And he, he was, he was a real inspiration for me. I, you know, read his book and met with him several times and he's, he's, you know, been kind enough to, to offer me, you know, some advice and endorsements along the way. And so, uh, really, really appreciative of of, uh, of Joel. Oh, that's awesome. Yeah, I've been meaning as I brain through brainstorm through future guests. Is uh, I've been uh, an individual on my list if I'm lucky enough to to get them on. Well, with that, Mike, um, why don't we we can wrap it up here because I could I've got lots more questions and it'll never end. Um, but uh, I appreciate you coming on. This is really I think it's really interesting stuff. I think it's really cool that you know, a big part of your motive aside from just, Hey, I think, you know, this is a profitable thing is, is not only that the impact that your investments can make, but kind of proving out another kind of data point on, Hey, we're actually proving that you can generate even above side, you know, market outperformance, um, or really kind of outsized returns, um, investing in this space. And so prove, you know, adding another data point to that, that analysis, I think is a really cool aspect of what you're doing. So, um, yeah, I appreciate you coming on. Oh, well, thanks so much for having me. And obviously you're doing lots of great stuff in this space too. So I'm, I'm watching you keenly as well, but yeah, no, I appreciate the time, David. Thank you. And just quickly, where can if people want to know more about, um, active impact investments, where can they find you? Uh, website, so www.activeimpactinvestments.com. Nice Our and easy. Very, very literal name. <laughs> right. Awesome. <laughs> yeah. Cool. Well, thanks again, Mike. All hey, the best. Thank you. Hey, everyone. Thanks so much for listening to the Impact Investing Podcast. If you like what you heard, I'd be incredibly grateful if you left a review on iTunes. And uh, heads up, we're now available on most audio platforms, which includes iTunes, but also Spotify, Google, Overcast, you name it. And also can now use Siri to listen to the podcast by saying, Hey Siri, play the Impact Investing Podcast. Here's to the Impact Investing Podcast. Yeah, just like that. You're listening to the Impact Investing Podcast.